Today on EcoReport. I feel like Citizens Climate Lobby has that potential to change the world. We bring you part one of our interview with Marsha Veldman and her involvement in Citizens Climate Lobby, a nonprofit organization that addresses climate change. EcoReport is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. And financially supported by listeners like you. Good morning and welcome to EcoReport. For WFHB, I'm Phil Casper. And I'm Juliana Daly. Monroe County is still waiting to hear whether its two-year Monroe County Energy Challenge has placed in the Georgetown University Energy Prize Competition. Sustainability Coordinator Jackie Bauer told the Environmental Commission last week she has received no information on how the county ranks among, among 49 other communities competing for a $5 million prize. So Georgetown University, I think, is expecting to have some results reported this month, but I don't know when this month. So um, we're hoping to have some indication soon. I think the next step really is to identify their top 10 competitors out of the 50 that were involved. So I hope we'll have those numbers soon, but since they haven't really had data available, we have no idea. You know, we don't know if we're in the middle or at the top or at the bottom or anything. So it'll be a complete surprise. Bauer said two other initiatives that stemmed from the energy challenge are ongoing. Our energy outreach coordinator is continuing to work and she's been spearheading a couple of specific things. One is an attic insulation program where we are targeting lower income households um, to get seal attic insulation I'm sorry, attics sealed and insulated. And we have an AmeriCorps team here who's helping out with that effort, as well as some funding we've received from both Vectron and Duke to support those efforts. And then um, she's focusing on the Solar Wind and Watts program, and that is an outreach program in local elementary schools. So we actually work with high schoolers to familiarize elementary school students with energy concepts. Bauer said the initiatives are supported by grants from Duke Energy and Cook Medical. Bauer also pointed commission members to the latest version of the city's 2040 comprehensive plan. The latest version of the comprehensive plan is now available for review, so take a look at that. That, that is at uh, bloomington.ion.gov cmp. So that, that they have it on a pretty quick approval um, schedule. So they're trying to, they're going to have four or five public sessions in the next month or so and are hoping to get it approved pretty quickly. So Commission member Rhonda Baird reported progress is being made on a forestry, forestry initiative planned for the county's Thompson Road property on Bloomington's south side. The steering committee is coming together and we are looking for volunteers to help with 
the planting once the design's submitted and approved. Um, and we also are looking for project managers to get involved with specific sites. So that's sort of the next step. So if people are interested, they can contact me um, through the commission. And that's all right. So what would a project manager do? Um, project manager would take on the implementation and maintenance of a specific site. So working with that site, um, like the maintenance installation and maintenance plan, um, working with the steering committee on educational programming and activity days, things like that. The county bought the property more than a decade ago, but is only now finding a viable use for it. Bauer said the tree planting is planned for this fall. The Monroe County Solid Waste Management Board has approved contracting with local firm Kessler Consulting for a feasibility study on a mixed waste processing facility, also known as a MRF. In the, in the board's meeting last week, Solid Waste Management District Executive Director Tom McGlasson Jr. said Kessler's $84,000 bid was chosen over four other firms in part because of the firm's unique experience. But in the end, there was one that, um, that, that did have some unique experience um, and, and project uh, experience that dealt uh, specifically with, uh, with college and university-driven towns, very similar to Bloomington. Um, and, and, you know, given, given the, uh, you know, the, the waste characterization study aspect uh, of our project and, and looking to differentiate or, or distinguish those waste characterizations from, you know, the, the city uh, and the university, um, Kessler Consulting seemed to have uh, experience doing just that type of thing. Board member and Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton said the city is also consulting with the Kessler firm on its sanitation automation initiative. To date, we've been very pleased with them. I just checked today uh, on that. So I, I actually think that's kind of a nice extra mm -hmm. linkage, too, because we have somebody who's going to be pretty familiar with the, with the new city system, so that may be helpful. Hamilton said Kessler promised to dig deeper than its closest competitor in the bidding process. And, and I also noted that that NMS, MSW offered to do kind of a, what, what did they call it, like a, just a data-driven analysis yeah. aggregate rather than on the, on the ground. But the Kessler, I thought, was very impressive. And they actually had the most detail about our situation now yeah. and showed the need to dive deep in. So I, I like that, too. Mm -hmm. So right. anyway, so thank, they're, you. They're thank you building for all the on, work on that. Building on existing knowledge, right, is, is yeah. a benefit for sure. Board member Steve Volan asked McLassen if the same team would be working on both the city and county projects. McLassen said he did not know at this time. I was aware of the city's relationship um, yeah, they, they with, put it with in Kessler. Uh, did uh, did have some discussions with Adam Wasson, uh, you know, concerning you know his experience and, and, and their workings with with Kessler leading up to their contract. But uh, unfortunately, we did, we did not compare project members, so I, I can't answer that question. But it is a very good question. The feasibility study is expected to be conducted over eight months. In more local news. A City of Bloomington press release announced the results of the city's monthly water testing program. March 2017's level of disinfection byproducts, or DBPs, in eight different testing sites measured well below February's results.
and far below average limits. Utilities Director Vic Kelson explained that results often vary, as temperatures do, because cold weather necessitates more chlorine in treatment basins to prevent the formation of DBPs. Mayor John Hamilton assured the community that the City of Bloomington Utilities, or CBU, will continue to monitor water quality carefully. Quote, CBU staff is constantly working to provide the highest possible water quality for our customers in the county in order to make timely water treatment adjustments based on environmental influences, unquote. All water quality test results are available online at data.bloomington.in.gov under utilities. And a highly toxic chemical was recently spilled into the regional water source of Lake Michigan. A spill of the chemical hexavalent chromium, a known carcinogen, occurred on April 11th at the U.S. Steel Midwest plant in Portage, Indiana. As a precaution, the neighboring Ogden Dunes community turned off its drinking water intake and will use reserve water, and the National Park Service closed four beaches along the 15-mile Indiana Dunes National Lakeshore. On April 14th, the Associated Press reported that a sample of lake water contained an elevated level of hexavalent chromium. The National Park Service recommends that people and pets avoid contact with lake water. U.S. Steel said an undetermined amount of wastewater from a broken pipe joint spilled into a waterway adjacent to the plant and about 100 yards from the lake. At the plant, steel forged at the nearby Gary Works is coated with hexavalent chromium and other materials to inhibit rust formation. Employees from the EPA's Region 5 office in Chicago are monitoring the spill at its site. The hexavalent chromium in Lake Michigan continues a trend that has taken place over the past three years in which Indiana has seen a 44% increase in drinking water violations. The Hoosier Environmental Council, or HEC, says part of the problem is budget cuts to the Department of Environmental Management, the state agency that tests public drinking water systems. The spill of hexavalent chromium last week that sent the carcinogenic chemical into Lake Michigan in northern Indiana is the latest example of why constant water quality testing is important. According to HEC, the Department of Environmental Management helps train and certify the people who operate the highly technical drinking water systems that require significant training and expertise to ensure that the water coming out of everybody's tap is safe to drink. Governor Eric Holcomb's $15.6 billion budget blueprint calls for only $200,000 to analyze water infrastructure safety and reliability. Heck says the budget needs to appropriate an additional $1.4 million for the state's drinking water program. Globally and locally, drinking water and freshwater ecosystems protection agencies are underfunded. And while that does not help the situation, the chemical, petroleum, and mining industries are consistently responsible for spills and contamination. That's right. Dow Chemical and Shell Oil saved millions of dollars a year by not properly disposing of an unwanted chemical in their pesticides that they should have removed and treated as a hazardous, hazardous waste and that they instead allowed to enter the drinking water of millions of people. The, chemil, the chemical is the potent cancer-causing 1,2,3-trichloropropane, or TCP, a byproduct in Dow's pesticide Talone and Shell's pesticide DD. 
TCP contaminated the drinking water of 94 California utility districts serving 8 million people before Shell ceased manufacturing DD in 1984 and Dow removed the TCP from Talone. EPA tests detected TCP in tap water of about 4 million people in 13 other states between 2013 and 15. TCP isn't regulated at the federal level, and Hawaii is the only state that regulates it. Shell and Dow have settled for many millions of dollars with communities to pay for filtering TCP out of water supplies, and many more cases are pending. Occasionally, people manage to halt some industrial projects that would inevitably contaminate freshwater ecosystems and drinking water sources, like in the case of the opponents to Ontario Power Generation's plan to bury radioactive waste on the shore of Lake Huron. Opponents to the plan received some good news on April 5th when the Canadian Environmental Assessment Agency issued a request for additional information on the project. The request is likely to delay the company's deep underground dump by a year or more. The dump would be built to accommodate the Bruce Nuclear Generating Station in Kincardine, Ontario, Canada, which is Sawjean Ojibwe Nation Territory. The Great Lakes provide drinking water, as well as fishing, hunting, and other protected rights, as recognized by treaties signed by both the U.S. and Canadian federal governments, for a large number of Native American First Nations on both sides of the border. Resistance to the radioactive waste dump plan has taken place for the last 16 years. The dump threatens the drinking water supply of 40 million people on the Turtle Island continent across eight U.S. states and two Canadian provinces. And in some good news, because you know we need some of that now and again, about 20,000 schools in the province of Punjab in Pakistan will convert their power source to solar power, according to government officials. The project will kick off in southern Punjab schools and expand in phases across the province. The entire project will take several years to go into full effect. In Pakistan, nearly half of all residents are not connected to the national electricity grid. Residents who are connected to the grid regularly experience rolling blackouts. And the problem is only expected to get worse in the coming years. Renewable resources can help mitigate this growing energy crisis. With eight to nine hours of sunshine per day, the climatic conditions in Pakistan are ideal for solar power generation. Pakistan spends about $12 billion annually on the import of crude oil. Of this, 70% is used in generating electricity. Shifting to solar energy is projected to help reduce electricity costs by two-thirds. Pakistan's parliament building was the first national assembly to convert entirely to solar power. And those are some of the headlines. For WFHB, I'm Phil Casper. And I'm Juliana Daly. We'd love to hear from you. Contact us if you have any thoughts about stories we've aired or if you have future story ideas. Please send emails to earth at wfhb.org. For today's feature, we'll hear an interview with correspondent Dave Parsons did with Marsha Veldman. Good morning. My name is Dave Parsons, and I'm here with Marsha Veldman, someone whom I've long admired as one of the people in Bloomington that actually is out doing the things that so many of us think are necessary and, and wonderful things to do. The one thing that I thought we 
probably should spend the most time on was Citizens Climate Lobby. I, I think that has potential to possibly make a, a difference on the national national scene. So mm -hmm. what is that and, and how did that come about and what are they trying to do? All right. And I agree with you. And certainly Citizens Climate Lobby is where I dedicate most of my volunteer time. Um, I first heard about it in January 2013, and it okay. was a very Citizens Climate Lobby kind of thing. It was just some person from California calling me. And the reason she called me is because I'm co-chair of the Green Sanctuary Task Force, and she was a Unitarian Universalist and, you know, uh -huh. knows that they're kind of people who get a lot done. So she, it was a complete cold call. She told me about Citizens Climate Lobby and their approach, which is, it's a very focused group. We're focused on passing carbon fee and dividend legislation on the national level. But it works from this really beautiful perspective of building relationships. So it comes from mm -hmm. such a positive place and is so, um, so well organized. And yet groups have a lot of latitude to uh, do what they are inspired to do on behalf of Citizens Climate Lobby, but we're just asked to do it from a place of appreciation, gratitude, and respect. So, um, so yeah, so um, this woman told me about Citizens Climate Lobby and said, Indiana is an orphan state, meaning we had no Citizens Climate Lobby presence in Indiana, mm -hmm. and that was in 2013 and uh, asked if I'd be interested in helping get a chapter going. So I went back to the Green Sanctuary and talked about this, and um, we did our homework because um, I am not really the kind of person who's eager to start something new necessarily unless it really fits a niche that isn't being filled. And there really was nothing like it. We, you know, kind of vetted them as an organization, mm -hmm. and they got rave reviews from the uh, – the Quaker Committee on National Legislation said they're wonderful. So, you know, after doing that, we're like, okay, this, it was good timing because at the, with the Green Sanctuary, we'd done a lot of work over a decade to educate the congregation, to improve our facilities. Um, and so it was kind of good time to do that, reaching out in the mission mm -hmm. of the uh, UU Church, which it's part of it is changing the world. And mm -hmm. so I feel like Citizens Climate Lobby has that potential to change the world. How exactly does the Citizens Climate Lobby build relationships? You say that the focus is on building relationships. So how does that work? I mean, what do you do to, to do that? All right. So... We have five levers for building political will. And uh, the first being meeting with our members of Congress, having ongoing dialogue with our members of Congress. So, for example, right now we're in what we call the Spring Lobby Drive. And 
Um, we have meetings scheduled with the offices of Senator Donnelly and Senator Young and Representative Trey Hollingsworth. And that's just here in District 9. Um, since we started our chapter here in 2013, there are now four other chapters in Indiana, and this morning I got an email, and Evansville is ready to start a new chapter, <laughs> oh, which made me really excited, because oh. I'm actually working as the a co-state coordinator, and that's mm -hmm. my focus, is to try and get chapters in every district in Indiana, so that little, and we got two orphan, left to go. The little orphan <laughs> has grown, and yeah, we're close to having five. What do you say? So five we have five seven? chapters. Have five. Are you going to have six? And we'll have six in May. Uh, yeah. And, and there many? are nine congressional districts, but mm -hmm. like our Indianapolis chapter covers two districts. Um, so so yes. they add up a little more quickly that yeah. way. So that's one of the things is, you know, meeting directly with members of Congress and their staff. And I noticed. You didn't discriminate Democrat, Republican, or it's everybody. No, yeah. it is everyone. We're a nonpartisan organization, and um, we actually really believe that um, we want for the legislation to come from the Republicans. Um, and our approach is something that many Republicans can hang with because it's a— a market-based approach. It's revenue neutral. So it's really addressing the issue that right now the negative externalities, the um, the pollution, the climate change issues, the health costs of burning fossil fuels are not being borne by the fossil fuel industry. They're being borne by all of us yeah. through increased health care costs, through, um, well, climate change, you know, we're seeing more severe droughts and flooding. And so these costs are being borne by society. And what we're saying is, let's put a price on carbon that makes it pay for the societal cost. So the fossil fuel industry would be paying for that. And then taking that that revenue from that fee on carbon and returning it to households. So that as, of course, the increased costs, you know, as you pay more for coal, the uh, electricity here in Indiana, that's about 85% from coal, okay. is gonna go up in price. But with our plan, households most households actually will come out ahead financially. So so this is a market-based approach. It kind of frees the economy, frees the industry to go to where the best solutions are. Um, and it's revenue neutral, which is a real important tenant for Republicans. So... Um, we, as an organization, don't take a stance on, you know, regulations. We're supportive of the clean power plant because as long as we don't have this market-based solution in place, we need regulations. But honestly, if the, our plan is passed today, 
We will not need a lot of the regulations that are currently in place because it will exceed the emissions reductions that are necessary. EcoReport is currently seeking volunteer journalists to contribute short weekly headlines about ecological issues from indigenous resistance to infrastructure projects to climate change and biological diversity. Commitment is light and you can set your own schedule. For more information, email us at earth at wfhb.org or call 812-323-1200. It's time now for In Nature, a segment focusing on the flora and fauna of south-central Indiana. This is In Nature. Skunks are mammals who very recently received their own familial classification, Mephitis mephitis, which translates to stinky stinky. However, there's much more to skunks than meets the nose, and they can't be defined in black and white. In fact, skunks naturally come in a variety of shades and patterns. Skunks are generally amiable but solitary. Most ground predators have evolved to recognize their distinctive black and white markings and have learned to keep their distance. However, aerial predators like the great horned owl don't seem to mind being sprayed. But there is one animal that hasn't learned to respect the skunk's warning signs, and that's the domesticated dog. Some believe the problem is that the signals that skunks give to warn another animal to stay away, like stomping and dragging their feet, resemble a dog's play bow. But while dogs find the skunk's behavior inviting, the skunks themselves see these domesticated animals as a threat. If you find a skunk traveling through your yard, take time to observe and enjoy. Skunks spray only when they feel directly threatened. A skunk who takes up residence under a porch is probably raising a family and will take off once the kits are old enough. Many people don't realize that skunks offer a great benefit to gardens and are known as a friend to farmers. This is because they prey on the insects and the larvae that can destroy crops. You've been listening to In Nature. And now for our weekly events calendar. McCormick's Creek State Park is hosting an Owen County Wildflower Weekend all day on Saturday, April 22nd and Sunday, April 23rd. Enjoy hikes and talks with speaker Ellen Jackhart and take advantage of a native plant sale. Morgan Monroe State Forest and Yellowwood State Forest are having open houses on Saturday, April 22nd from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. People interested in how Indiana's state forest operate can share their views at a series of open houses. Attendees can talk with Department of Natural Resources personnel or, if they prefer, submit written comments. Enjoy a frog chorus and sky dance on Friday, April 28th at Bean Blossom Bottoms Nature Preserve from 7 to 9 p.m. Stroll on the boardwalk across this fascinating wetland ecosystem with Dr. Vicki Moretsky of IUSPIA as she helps you identify frog songs. Assistant Director John Lawrence will help you listen for the elusive woodcock. Waterproof footwear is recommended. Meet in the Kinzer Pike parking lot at Marsh Supermarket at 6.30 p.m. to carpool. Sycamore Land Trust is hosting an Arbor Day tree giveaway on Friday, April 28th from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. Pick up a free native wildlife-friendly tree seedling at Blooming Foods East to celebrate Arbor Day. 
which began in Nebraska in 1872. Hilltop Gardens, located at 2367 East 10th Street in Bloomington, Indiana, is hosting a Managing the Abundance from Your Garden All Year Long class on Saturday, April 29th from 1 to 3 p.m. Learn how to gauge when to pick your garden produce, preservation techniques, and great recipes. Learn when to plant late fall crops and how to prepare your beds for next season. There is a charge for this class. Please register by April 27th at bloomington.in.gov parks. That wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's news stories were written by Sarah Vaughn, Kathy Norton, Linda Green, and Norm Holy. Erin Comforti edited the show. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Megan Wade and Matt Griffin are our engineers. Our executive producer is Joe Crawford. For WFHB, I'm Phil Casper. And I'm Juliana Daly. Join us on Thursdays at 11.30 a.m. before Democracy Now! and on Fridays at 5 p.m. before Kite Line for our weekly radio rundown of ecological news and resistance. Until then, Eco Report encourages you to take direct action to defend the Earth. You've been listening to the Eco Report, a volunteer powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source. For South Central Indiana. Bringing you news that the Earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org. Thank you.